today's episode of the Wharton Fintech Podcast. I am Riyad Bani, and today I have the pleasure of chatting with Tess Block, co-founder and head of ops at Spade. Spade stands at the forefront of fintech infrastructure, offering unparalleled real-time merchant intelligence that's transforming the card ecosystem. With impressive clientele, including Unit, Ramp, and Sardine, Spade is redefining how businesses understand and engage with transaction data. In today's episode, Tess will share her journey from an undergrad internship at Venmo to founding a fintech infrastructure company. We'll explore the genesis of Spade, the challenges of achieving product market fit, and Tess's advice for non-technical professionals navigating technical roles in the industry. Hey, Tess, welcome to the Wharton Fintech Pod. Thanks so much for having me here. So, Tess, tell us a little bit about your career path. How did you get to where you are today? Yeah, absolutely. So I started my career in fintech early on as a freshman at Stanford. Uh, Everyone was talking about this great app called Venmo. So I sent them a cold email and talked my way into an internship. I really loved the people, the industry. And so I ended up going back for a second summer and then taking time off to work there full time. After college, I decided to go into management consulting. So I moved to London and worked at McKinsey for two years, really focusing on payments, public and social sector, and private equity work. After McKinsey, I took a brief detour into politics, which is really just a personal passion of mine. So I moved to Iowa to work as a field organizer on a 2020 Democratic primary campaign. After the campaign, I decided to return home to New York and to my passion for fintech and for startups. So I joined Pinwheel, which is one of the leading income and employment connectivity APIs, starting out as chief of staff and then becoming head of operations. I spent two years there, and then I met my two now co-founders at Spade, and they were really tackling a problem that I had seen throughout my career in fintech, which was the poor quality of transaction data really getting in the way of innovation. And I decided to join them and help build out the business on the commercial and operations side. Awesome. I'd love to dig into a couple of things that you just touched on. How did you meet your co-founders and decide to build a company together? Yeah, definitely. We had mutual connections in both the fintech and VC world. Actually, one of the people I worked closely with at Venmo was an advisor there. And they had started to work on this problem that I, as I mentioned, had seen, and they'd come up with a really innovative solution. I got introduced to them. We all have very different strengths and backgrounds, but really have these kind of shared values, which is, I think, the foundation of a strong founder relationship. We all really believe in building a people-first culture, recognizing that there's kind of no success without your people. And we decided to come together and kind of build both that culture and a company. And the second thing I wanted to double click on was just a little bit more about how you came across the specific problem that you're trying to solve at Spade. Sure. I think all of us have had the experience of looking at our debit card statements and not recognizing a transaction. I certainly have. I've gotten calls from my parents asking me to explain theirs and really have had to do kind of this detective work to figure out what the transaction is and whether it was actually one that we made. And I think the surprising part that you learn from working in fintech is that your financial institution actually doesn't know a lot more about the transaction than you do. And they're making these really critical decisions about whether to approve or decline your transaction based off of that very limited information. This is really a result of kind of the outdated card network infrastructure, which has a 
changed since the 1960s. And in addition to the user pain, it causes real financial problems, both for consumers and for banks. Financial institutions spend over $60 billion each year to combat fraud, disputes, chargebacks. And I think we all know the problem isn't going away. There's a 46% year-over-year increase in card fraud attempts, especially with the rise of AI. And really, it was a problem that I'd seen personally and throughout my career and what I knew kind of was in need of a solution. Let's zoom out for a second. At a high level, can you explain the payments value chain to listeners and where exactly Spade would come into play? When we swipe our credit card or type our credit card, there's really a lot that's going on in the background. And essentially, it's a giant game of telephone. To start at the beginning, the card networks created a communication protocol called ISO 8583, which dictates the kind of information that can be sent along with a transaction by defining a set of standard data fields, which obviously incredibly important to make payments work. But there are also some limitations. There's a 40-character limit. All of that information about where a purchase was made is just jumbled into a few characters. And then that string of characters is really kind of what your issuer sees when they're deciding whether to approve or decline a transaction, and they only have seconds to do it. What's happening in that moment is you're issuing banks to the place that you get your card. You're swiping that card at a point of sale system. It's getting processed by someone like a Stripe or a Braintree. That message is communicated over a card network. So that can be Visa, MasterCard, Amex to an acquiring bank, merchant's bank, so like Chase or Bank of America. And then that merchant is kind of getting the payment information. You'll see all of that show up at your issuing bank, but a lot of that information has been obscured as a result of the giant game of telephone that was played, as I think we all know if we've ever played that game. Where a spade comes in is we help the issuing bank get back a lot of the context that was lost. So when they get the data, they send it to us, oftentimes in what's called the authorization flow, so that period they have to decide whether to approve or decline a transaction. We improve it, we send it back, and they can then use it to make better decisions and to build better products and services for users. Let's dive into your solution in a little bit more detail. How is Spade solving this problem? Spade is providing what we call real-time merchant intelligence for the card ecosystem. We link any card transaction to a real merchant identity, and we provide really granular merchant category and geolocation information on those transactions. Our customers who are banks, fintechs, card issuers, anti-fraud platforms, they use our data to authorize more transactions, to detect and prevent fraud, and to build more innovative products and services. And the way that we've solved this problem is we actually took a bit of a unique approach. The typical approach is to try and cleanse the transaction string that you'll see in your statement. And that can be sometimes unreliable, it can sometimes be slow, and sometimes it can't really give you the level of granularity for information that you might want. And our approach was actually to start at a different point, which was to build this proprietary ground truth database that covers nearly 100% of merchants in the United States. When we get sent transactions, what we're doing is actually matching them to a real merchant identity in less than 40 milliseconds. And when we match, we can give everything from a clean merchant name, a logo, a website, to a consistent identifier for each store a merchant has, to an exact geolocation down to the latitude and longitude, and do so in a time frame that really lets our customers actually use that information to make decisions about whether to approve or decline a transaction. 
That sounds like great data, but how did you actually go about building that data set? Yeah, that's a great question. We have built really strong relationships with a broad range of data partners across the fintech and merchant data ecosystem. It's actually not as simple as just to get that data from partners. There's really an enormous amount of data science and machine learning work to be done to link those merchant identities across data sets and then quality check and supplement the data. That's really where we focus. We see ourselves as a data-centric company and we take our data quality and coverage efforts extremely seriously and dedicating the time and resources to do this work bringing on the talent to do this work, and then building relationships with those partners who may be competitive to other companies who are trying to kind of solve similar problems isn't easy. And it's not necessarily something that can be done well, unless it's really the core focus of your business and what you do every day. And as you think about the number of merchants ostensibly increasing, how do you ensure that this database remains up to date? Yeah, that's definitely one of the core challenges of this business and of merchant data, right? Stores open and close all the time. That means our data partnerships aren't kind of one-time relationships. We get regular data updates and our team also really invests a lot of time and effort with some proprietary techniques to keep it up to date so that we can actually match on every transaction that comes in. It's definitely an ongoing effort. This isn't a problem you solve once and then you're done. It's something that needs continued investment. Awesome. So when you first started talking about the problem, we were talking about not being able to understand transactions on your credit card statement. So the most obvious use case that comes to mind when I think of Spade is definitely on the BFM side. But in this context, the product seems to be more of a vitamin than a painkiller in terms of the value proposition. When I was looking at your website, Spade lists customers like Unit, Solid, and Coast as customers, which are not BFM tools. So I'd love to hear a little bit more about your journey to finding product market fit and the customers for whom Spade has the strongest product market fit. Yeah, that's really a great question. I think especially in this economic environment, right? Companies aren't necessarily buying vitamins anymore. You really do need to be a painkiller. And it's been definitely a journey. And I think oftentimes transaction data enrichment has been associated with use cases like personal financial management and UI UX. And that is actually where we started. My co-founders had heard that people were really struggling to build good user experiences with the poor quality of transaction data. And they had a customer who said they would basically pay us if we could just provide logos on transactions. So that's how Spade began. But it really quickly became apparent that While logos are nice and they're useful, they're not a mission-critical use case. And the economic environment also changed, as I said. And we really spent a lot of time talking to customers about what their hair-on-fire business problems were, and then took a deep look as well at the way we built our product. Because you can't just solve a problem because it's out there. You have to solve what you're suited for, both your product and your team. And our differentiators, so things like the speed of response time for our API, The fact that we linked transactions to real merchant identities instead of just cleaning them with machine learning and the level of granular information that we returned, including location that we provided at much higher rates than competitors, really lined up with what we were hearing was a mission critical use case for our customers, which was making decisions about approving or declining a transaction, particularly doing so to better protect consumers and prevent and detect fraud. 
we decided to make that our focus, both on the product side and the sales side, thinking about how we could continue to improve our data quality, provide more granular information, even provide additional insights that could help people make those decisions. And when we did that, we saw sales cycle shorten. We saw willingness to pay go up. Uh, We saw usage go up and ultimately we saw revenue go up. And those are really clear indicators of product market fit. And so that's the path that we continue to pursue today and one we're really excited about and hearing very positive feedback from customers about. That's awesome. One thing I'm curious about is you've mentioned speed to returning a response many times in this conversation. Why is that so important for Spades customers? Yeah. So if you think about when you swipe your card, you're not going to just stand there (laughs) for an endless amount of time. If you did, every store would have lines out the door. When a transaction happens, there are actually time limits. It can time out. And an issuing bank or the person that gives you your card have two seconds to make that decision about whether to approve or decline a transaction. And frankly, customers wouldn't wait even if they did. For customers or those issuing banks to be able to use Spade to make these decisions in that time frame in what's called the authorization window, it needs to be fast. And it can't take up the full two seconds they have because there's a lot of other things they have to do. So for example, they have to check a customer's balance. They have to check transaction history. They have to run their internal fraud models. For them to really use us, we need to be almost instantaneous. So even something like 200 milliseconds is too long for them. And that's why we take a lot of pride and spend a lot of time being the fastest provider in the space. Our average response time is actually 20 milliseconds and 99% of our transactions are enriched in less than 40 milliseconds. Just to touch on something you also mentioned in your last response on sales cycles becoming shorter, the customers that you highlighted were predominantly fintech infra players who I would presume understand the value and use cases you unlock. That makes sense that sales cycles would shorten. How have you thought about expanding into working with more traditional financial institutions and have you seen any traction on this front? Yes. So I'm really excited to say that we are in talks with many of the top 20 banks. Obviously, those sales cycles just naturally take a lot longer, but we are even finding that those sales cycles are accelerating when we're talking to the right people about the right use cases. They do take a different approach, though. It's really critical to have an enterprise-ready product, a strong sales cycle, and a really consultative sales approach because we are really introducing a new product. And so you have to educate people. You have to be there to answer questions. You have to be there to even support post-sales in their implementation. And so we really invested in meeting those standards to be able to sell to those customers. I think the good news is that it's clear to everyone we speak to that Spade can really be both a a cost reduction tool when it comes to preventing fraud, but also a revenue generator when it comes to approving more transactions. And that means that people see the value and are excited to move conversations forward. So we're excited by all of the really well-known and established fintechs that we've partnered with so far. And we also should have some exciting news on the traditional financial institution front as well soon. You know, on a more tactical level, how have you thought about structuring the sales solutions sort of teams that need to employ that more consultative approach? Yeah, absolutely. We don't see it as one person's job to be a partner to our customers. It's everyone's job who engages with customers, whether that's the founders, whether that's our salespeople, whether that is our engineers who jump on calls to help support implementation. It's really all of our job to be an effective partner. 
when we think about implementation, our customers know what their strategies are, know what their metrics are, know what their goals are. They know their burning problems and they know their customers. And so it's our job to understand all those things and help them brainstorm, to share what we've seen in the industry, to share our advice, and to really help them achieve their goals with a very consultative approach. And we've seen that pay off with a lot of our customers, people like Unit, for example, commenting on how they enjoy how responsive and collaborative our team is and what great partners we are. And it's really just been critical to our success to do that. As you think about merchant intelligence, are there any new use cases that you're excited to explore in the future? One of the most exciting parts of being a data company is having customers come to us with new and innovative use cases. As many things as I can come up with, our customers come to us with even more. There are really endless opportunities to reduce fraud, to improve customer experiences, to allow people to take more control of their finances. And I feel really lucky to be in a position where I'm not only working with an incredible team at Speed, but also get to partner with some of the best companies and best talent in the industry and help them achieve their goals and hear them come up with ideas I never could even think of. Personally, I think knowing what I know about how limited the data is on a merchant involved in a transaction when I'm swiping my card, I'm really excited and hopeful that this will allow financial institutions to better protect me and other consumers especially as fraud increases. And we're seeing that be just a huge trend, as I said earlier, especially with the rise of AI, the increase in fraud is just exponential. And so I'm really hopeful that this can help combat that. Yeah, and it seems like you guys are seeing some great traction. You know, I saw that you guys raised a 10 million Series A in December of last year. How are you thinking about future plans for the company following the fundraising? Yeah, absolutely. We're really excited to have Flourish Ventures lead that Series A with continued participation from existing investors, including Andreessen, including Gradient Ventures, Y Combinator. And using those funds, there are a couple of different things we have in mind. So one is growing the team, of course. So we're particularly interested in expanding the data science and go-to-market functions to continue to support our customers. We will be expanding internationally as well. And we'll be launching new features. So as a bit of a teaser, we're excited to be launching a few things that will make it even easier for customers to use our data to make informed decisions about approving or declining transactions. As you think about international expansion, what needs to happen for you to be able to do that? You know, I would presume that it's a completely new data set and that new sort of product that you need to build out in a sense. When we engaged in data partnerships, we did so with our eventual goal of international expansion in mind. And we've already got those relationships. Our data partners, many of those have international coverage. We have all of the factors we need lined up to be able to expand internationally when we're ready. We're just being really thoughtful about making sure it's the right time, making sure we have the resources to support and growing in line with what we're ready for. Awesome. As we wrap up, a lot of our listeners are MBA students or undergrad students who are looking to work in the financial technology space after graduation. And I think what really stood out to me about your background was how you moved from a seemingly non-technical world into founding a very technical product. And so how did you really think about equipping yourself to take on roles at companies that are seemingly quite technical in nature, despite not really having that engineering background? When I interned at Venmo my freshman year of college, I found it really hard because I had no understanding of engineering. I didn't know what their 
day-to-day looked like. And more importantly, I didn't know how big the asks I was making of them really were. I could be asking them something that would take months and I would think it would take a day or vice versa. It was really important to me when I went back to school to just take a little bit of computer science, not because I thought I would be an engineer. And I, at this point, could not code to save my life. But my goal was to really build empathy and understanding of my team and to be able to speak their language. And even though I suffered through those computer science classes, I think it's really helped me be a more effective leader. And for example, when you felt the frustration of your code not working and spent hours on it only to realize it was a typo, that is an experience that really creates empathy. And I really encourage anyone non-technical in a technical company to spend some time learning, not because they want to be an engineer or not because they need to be able to code, but just to understand what an engineer's day-to-day looks like and to be able to speak that language. And I think it's equally as important for technical people in any company to spend time understanding the role and experiences of non-technical colleagues. And that can be as simple as shadowing a call or just having conversations and understanding what their day-to-day looks like. I think it really helps you value each other's work and recognize how the company couldn't succeed without either side and create an empathetic and collaborative and successful culture. You know, I'm sure that your team is still small, but but growing. So how do you think about fostering that culture at Spade specifically? Yeah. So it was really important early on for us to define what our values were. My co-founders and I, before we even made any additional hires, sat down and defined those values. And those values include really leading with empathy. They include being intentionally inclusive, bringing joy to the journey, succeeding together, and forging new paths. And once we had those values, every decision we make is sort of guided by them. That included our recruiting process. We really screen for people who share the values. We're very transparent when we're hiring people about what they are, and we let people make decisions about whether they're aligned with them. It includes the way that we do performance management and the expectations we set. For example, our performance expectations at Spade, it's not just about what you deliver, but it's about how you do it. Those are equally as important because we know that to succeed, we have to be collaborative. We have to work together. And it also really, they guide the decisions that we make, right? When we're in a tough situation, we go back to those values and we think about what the decision would be that really helps us live up to them. And I think that's the way that you create a culture, right? It's making those tough decisions. It's revisiting your values. It's being explicit about what those values are. And it's making sure that everyone on the team is bought in. Awesome. Well, Des, this was a really great conversation. It was awesome to hear about what you're building at Spade, and I'm excited to see what you guys do next. Thanks so much. Thank you. Really appreciate you having me and enjoyed our conversation. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Wharton Fintech Podcast. If you like the show, please give us a follow. Until next time, this is your host, Rhea Advani. Thank you.